0: And this is no exaggeration because I remember this vividly. In March of 2015, we had made the commitment to go to Bible school, so we were moving forward with some things spiritually and some things we thought we should do. And the first three months of 2015, the end of March, we had made seventeen dollars. Now, sorry, seventeen dollars. Now, I know that I know I know that there are some there's some big time folks listening in and they're probably doing the same thing you that they go, wait, what did you say? Yes, we made seventeen dollars the first three months. We we had some tough years. OK. But by the end of 2015, when I did our taxes, the reason I can say this, we had 12 different income streams from primarily coaching and maybe some specific roles and and that's really the momentum that kind of kept going, that's built. Today, I have the
1: privilege of interviewing Tim Winders. I don't know if you heard the introduction where he talked about three months into the year of 2015, he and his wife had earned $17. And by the end, they had been blessed with 12 streams of income. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But I'm telling you now, this is an episode you do not want to miss. It is one that is chock full of a journey of faith, a journey of trial, devastation, back to triumph and blessings galore, and the shift in the coaching business that Tim did in the 2000s, early 2000s versus what he does now and how it's drastically different and coaches, how you can build a similar model for you. Stay tuned, listen in, share this episode. This is an interview you do not want to miss. Let's get into it with Tim Wenders. I want to say, welcome, Tim, to the Coach Up Podcast. Thank you again, really, for being here. I am really excited to talk with you because you have a story that is so unique. And um, you went through the 2008, 2010 challenge that happened in the U.S. I'm, I'm assuming maybe happened in the world, but definitely know it happened in the U.S. with our mortgage bus. Um, and you have since built a thriving and very different business, different coaching business um, than is normal. And so I'm really excited to have you on today. Welcome. Please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do.
0: Sure. Thank you, Kanisha. Great to be here. And I always, always love talking about coaching and the reason why in the form of an introduction, I believe that I was created to be a coach. I have always desired to be a coach. And even going back, both my parents were educators. I grew up in the Atlanta area. So right there where you are. And uh, so I'm an Atlanta native, spent the first 50 years of my life and then around the Atlanta area. And so both of my parents were educators. And when I was growing up, I really felt as if I wanted to be a teacher and a coach, but as things will happen, especially when someone's kind of maturing in the, the, the go-go greedy, you know, eighties that I was growing up in, I found out how much money my parents made. And I didn't know we were poor, by the way. I mean, you know, for those of you that are actual teachers and all that, that's, uh, they don't pay them enough. I can guarantee you that. So I decided to go down the road to Georgia Tech and become an engineer. I was okay in math and science and some things like that. And I said, I'm going to make me some money because I don't see that there's a lot of it in that teaching and coaching arena. But as as things would have it, I ended up right back in coaching and teaching because I I had a company when I was at Georgia Tech in the mid 80s. It did well. Um, That's kind of how I started doing business. I've always been kind of an entrepreneur and a coach. And I've kind of always tied those two together. That's the theme that one would see throughout my life. And, but when I came out of Georgia tech, I went to work corporate, and almost immediately, I kept migrating into roles where I was a teacher coach, teacher coach, even at a very, I mean, I was a young guy, obviously, in a corporate environment, corporate setting, and, uh, and But I ended up with the Bell South Leadership Institute. I was doing some teaching and training and uh, had a lot of different jobs in the nine years I was there. But started a gig on the side that was one of these multi-level marketing companies that I made enough money where I was able to leave that but it kind of kept feeding my personal development, my growth, my desire that I had to coach, mentor, work with others. And, uh, and I kept doing that. And I did it in various forms throughout the nineties into the two thousands. And that's kind of when we started doing real estate Mm -hmm. and um, real estate was very successful for us. And uh, but as soon as I did that, like every other thing I did, as soon as I did it, Well, I started wanting to teach and coach other people (laughs) how to do it.
1: So we
0: we had, so, so we had, you kind of gave away the, uh, the spoiler alert there, but we had, we had coaching companies and, um, and uh, lead generation businesses and, uh, real estate companies that were all seven figure businesses heading into 08 and uh i'll I'll finish the intro part of the story by saying, by two thousand and thirteen, we were homeless and didn't have a place to live and didn't couldn't rub two nickels together had had to go through some ugly bankruptcy things with real estate and all of that. and uh, so that brought us up to two thousand and thirteen. So how's that for an intro? You know, it definitely
1: sets it up that there is hope on the other side <laughs>
0: Well, I'm still here. So that's that's the hope. I'm still here. Exactly,
1: right? But it sounds like you experienced that success early and then hit a serious wall. Um, and so I, I'll really be curious. I want to come back to it, how you bounce back from that, because I think that's so important, that bounce back ability, so important in anything we do, whether it's catastrophic, like going from multi seven figure businesses to can't even find two pennies on the road to rub together, or it's just the day-to-day of getting 17 no's and just not wanting to get up the next day and do it. So I definitely want to come back to that. But I'd love to hear the redemption part on the other side after 2013.
0: Well, the cool thing. Yeah, let's let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, it was it, I won't lie, and I'm sure people can read between the lines. It, it was some tough times. And uh, my wife and I, we will tell people we don't wish what we went through on anyone, but we're thankful we went through that because of who we've become. And, uh, you know, for those of us that are coaches, we love to help people through processes and learning and help them go through the journey. But in reality, I don't know that a lot of us like to go through it, but what we become is what's so important. And so the rest of the story is, is that currently today I'm speaking to you from a 39-foot motor coach, which my wife and I live, travel, and work in. And uh, it's kind of cool right now, except for the weather situation in this possible late spring snowstorm we're about to get this evening, but we're in Colorado because we have the flexibility to visit our grandchildren and hang out here for a little while with them. And so we travel, we travel and do all of our business and our work from this location, except when I need to hop on a plane and go see clients and different things like that. And uh, from a financial standpoint, doing very well, probably have more uh, liquid um, <laughs> finances available than we've ever had in our lives Thanks. and uh, and lead in many ways a simple life as far as possessions and things like that. And that's part of the story, by the way, if we really want to dig into it. But, uh, but it kind of all allowed me, I'm going back a few years now, to kind of reset. You know, a lot of people don't get a chance to reset. A lot of people kind of go down a path And it starts growing and then they look around and go, look what I've created or look what's been created. And they then they don't know how to regroup or get out of it. And that's obviously what we like to help people do as coaches many times. But many times we don't have the chance to do it ourselves. We were able to reset and we we kind of part of our journey is spiritual. We went to Bible school for a few years just to just to get more grounded in our spiritual beliefs. And 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 when we started that, my phone started ringing Kanisha, with people that knew me, people I'd known for years. I didn't do any marketing. I didn't have any funnels. I didn't have websites, any of that kind of stuff, but people that had known me, most of them for 15 or 20 years. And they were asking, say, Hey, listen, can you help us with this? Or we've got this company we'd love for you to give us some input, or I'm going to be running some events and I know you can sell high ticket items. Can you come in and help at those events? And It was a lot of different stuff. You know, one guy had a startup and he goes, man, we could use somebody with your skills in our startup. Can you just come help us with the startup? And my wife started doing some similar things. And so the the way I like to say it, this is and this is no exaggeration because I remember this vividly. In March of 2015, we had made the commitment to go to Bible school, so we were moving forward with some things spiritually and some things we thought we should do. And the first three months of 2015, the end of March, we had made seventeen dollars. Now, I'm sorry, I'm, seventeen dollars. Now I know that I know I know that there are some there's some big time folks listening in and they're probably doing the same thing you that they go wait what did you say? Yes, we made 17 dollars the first 3 months. We we had some tough years. Okay. But by the end of 2015 when I did our taxes, the reason I can say this, we had 12 different income streams from primarily coaching and maybe some specific roles. And, and that's really the momentum that kind of kept going that's built what we have now, which is, I don't want to say it's leisurely. We work hard, but it's a different style of coaching business than I had leading into 08. And I know we're going to talk some about that, and, and it's, and it's one that I enjoy much better. And part of, I think life is finding out what we enjoy and what we you know don't enjoy. And so that's, that's kind of how things started. And I love your response. Wait, how much did you say? I said $17.
1: <laughs> you did. You said 17 in three months.
0: That's exactly um, right. We were rolling. We were rolling in the money.
1: You were definitely rolling in the direction, um, but thank God, thank God it moved into the right direction. Okay. So obviously I'm going to ask about that and, and how you grew it. But Tim, for those who are listening, who are hearing this and thinking, okay, I, I don't even know where to start, but good for him and his, and his family now, but oh my goodness, what a journey to go through right now. If you had to tell, um tell us in a minute, what you do now, like what coaching do you do now? Or what's your business now? What is it?
0: Sure. I I call myself an executive coach and I'm an executive coach for leaders and leadership teams. And my ideal client is an organization or a company that is probably in the 10 to 50 employees. And I work specifically with the owner and the executive leadership team. I coach one-on-one the people on the leadership team and I do strategic planning and strategic initiatives with the entire leadership team. So I literally integrate myself into the company is what I do now. And, uh, and that is, uh, gives me great joy. I could kind of bring in my strategic and my engineering, and then I can also work with the company. We can have a big impact doing that. I, I do, I do love doing that. So does that define it well enough for you? That does.
1: And so obvious, I say obviously, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, I think um, from your experience of up until 2008, when you um, started a company, and then you got into real estate, and then you started coaching, and so you had multiple businesses is where your experience with startup, high ticket strategy comes into place. Would I be correct in making that assumption?
0: Yeah, that would be correct. That would be one way of saying you've done a lot of different things. And uh, <laughs> have you figured out what you want to do yet? Yes, I've got a pretty wide, wide range of, mm-hmm. uh, of experiences that kind of help. And this is I think this is very important for coaches too. I'm willing to admit that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And that I don't at times don't know much. But one of the things I do with the strategy, I want to say this, because this is important. I, I, I guide the process. I don't know the answers. I guide the process. And the process is strategy. The process is moving forward. The process is identifying uh, what the answers might be from the existing team that's there and pulling out what's inside of them. I think that's really at heart what a coach does. We pull out the greatness that's inside of people or teams or organizations. And I think if we remember that, I think we can maintain the proper level of humility. I think when we start thinking that we're so awesome and all that kind of stuff, which I could, we can go back to 08 and I could tell you that story. Then that's when we can kind of, uh, you know, be prepared for a fall. Um, We're we're just there to support the process and help pull out the greatness in other people.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go back to between 2013 and 2015. Um, And if we, if you know your story better and so if we need to go back to 2008, let's do that. Before I do that, I want to ask, when you're talking about, and uh, that's a very good point, coaches bring up the process. And I, as all of my guests know, I'm not a coach. I'm not a coach right now. This is what God told me that I'm supposed to be doing, which is why I get the privilege and honor of having conversations with amazing coaches and sharing that with coaches who want to grow their business. Um, So when I say that, I'm repeating what you said, but what does, what does that look like when you're saying you're pulling out the process and the strategy? What does that look like?
0: Hmm. Well, to me, it starts with something foundational and this might have a little spiritual tone to it, but I think people who maybe don't even have the same beliefs I, I do will get it. You really do have to believe that there's good in people or that there's great there or that they can achieve and accomplish things. You really do have to believe that, which means you have to love people. You really do have to love people. And the contrast would be, and I bump into people that do this and, and I'm hopeful that no one listening in fits this bill, that they see that there's a lot of money to be made in the coaching industry. And so they go into it purely for the money. And listen, I'm not against money at all. I'm not. Uh, and, and, it, and it's very rewarding and it should be. But if people have a dollar sign on their foreheads, I will tell you that at a foundational level, it's going to be very, very difficult to to really do it with the pureness that I believe that coaching really is. And so that I think that's what I meant. I, I hope I answered the question in that you really do need to think well of people. And, and not have dollar signs on them. And, and I've done that in the past, so I can, I can relate to it. I understand it. And I know how it can become more transactional than relational when you do
1: that. I think that's a great point, because if you're in the coaching business, you're coaching people. So it's very important. People can tell children are very good at it, but even people have an innate sense if you're not authentic. And you're yeah. you're not truly there for their well-being. And some people, if you're not there, like you said, if dollar signs are the, the most important thing, people will pick up on it eventually. So I think that's a, a great first point. I'll follow up and say, from a tactical standpoint, do you have a formula that you use when you're working with your clients on the on pulling out that process with them?
0: I I do, but it's fairly loose and it's very customizable. Now it is the, the formula goes something like this. I need to get to know who I'm interacting with and I want them to know themselves better. So there's, I think the first step, let's just say at the leadership level and really even at the organization level is a self-awareness, you know, who are we? And I do assessments and I'm, I'm not married to one assessment, you know, like Myers-Briggs or disc or any of those. I really, when I start with a client, I'll say, have you had a personality or a, or a self-assessment in the last 18 months? Oh, yes, I have. I've done the Enneagram. Oh, great. Can you send that over? It, it really doesn't matter. It's just something to get the juices flowing of, you know, being able to look at yourself and know who you are. So it's a self-assessment. And then from there, I start digging and looking for, and, and this sounds a bit It doesn't sound formulaic, but it actually is very formulaic. I am looking for some quick wins. I am looking for something that's a small pain point so that we can pick that off quickly. Listen, I've got an employee that we are just struggling with what to do with them. I don't know if they're a good fit. They don't do what we tell them, whatever. Okay, great. Let's talk about what that looks like as opposed to redoing the sales organization which is something that's going to be big it's going to take a while could take years so i look for some quick hits because i i really do like working with people long term i'm not one 90 days i'm in and out and all of that so Kanisha, my formula is go in self-awareness find a quick win If it's individual or organizational, I'm looking for quick wins. And then once we get quick wins, I'm looking to start moving in towards the long-term strategic planning, which for me is 90-day cycles. And this will give you a little bit more of what I'm really working towards. And that is I coach and work with each leader one-on-one, and I at least have one call a month, at least sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, depending on the level that they're at. And then what we also do is once a quarter, every 90 days, we meet. I just had a two-day meeting in Atlanta, by the way, not, not far from you there, up in the north part of Atlanta, where we did our strategic initiatives, and we went over all that we achieved in the first quarter, and we did a lot of creative brainstorming, planning, et cetera, what's working well, what's not working well. I actually did some personal development with them, some leadership development, and then we did our planning for the next 90 days. And each leader, each organizational leader, they actually were able to come up with two to three strategic initiatives above and beyond their regular day-to-day that's gonna help the organization move forward. Hmm. And so when I talk to the individual this next month, I'll ask how it's going with their initiatives. Are they on track? Are they behind? What do they need? And so that is really the formula that I look to move into because that is where I know that long-term we could start really moving the organization forward. We could start doing things that aren't part of the day-to-day. I could connect the dots by talking to everyone. I can know if there's going to be future conflict, there's problems. Someone's not in the right seat on the bus, different things like that. So that I I could kind of talk about that for a while. I hope that helped a little bit.
1: Uh, it was a lot of help. Um, you said a couple of things that, and so as I'm looking away from you, I'm writing notes. Yeah. Um, But you said, one, you talked about the personality test or some kind of assessment. And it just made me think, I wonder how many coaches do that just in general. Because as we talk about working with people, knowing who you're working with, I'm most familiar with the DISC personality assessments. And so knowing who you're working with makes a huge difference if you know how to, if you understand them and you know how to adapt in working with those individuals on how you interact with them effectively, right? Because I'm a high D. So when people start to talk about massive amounts of details, I tune out and then I'll tune back in. Did I did I catch a word that, that I need to hear? And then I'll, I know it's horrible, but that's, I'm not a detailed person. Um, give me high level and I'm ready to go. But as a coach, if you know that about somebody, then you speak to them differently. You coach differently. Then you do a S who's steady or a C who's conscientious. And so you know all this. But I think I think that was that was super helpful. And I don't know if that's something that's maybe just your style or that comes with executive coaching, but I would think that would be applicable to anybody who's coaching to get some kind of assessment of who you're working with.
0: Just- well, a few things. Let me I want to pile on because that's a great point you brought up. First of all, I do want to say I was a high D that shifted to a high I still D secondary. And I think that's part of some of the things we've gone through. You know, we do shift and change over time. So that's an interesting thing, but Kenesha, I want to make sure that. And this, I I think there's someone listening that needs to hear what I'm about to say. So people need to kind of tune into this. We are not as coaches. It's not an event. It's not like a one and done. It is a process and, and it is relational. And, and part of what we're doing is we're really working muscles in ourselves and with the people that we're interacting with that may not have been worked before. And so if someone is not willing to look in the mirror and assess, take some of these. And again, I'm not married to any of them. There's some I like better than others, but I don't. I don't really like to say this is the only one that works or anything. Some are better than others, and some some people resonate with uh, that, that. They don't resonate with others. But you know, I, I'm looking for people that are coachable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and someone who's willing to be self-aware that to me is one of the foundations of eq you know and and if they've got strong eq then we can work together and listen everybody's listening in on this this is the thing that some coach needs to hear we've worked with people that someone told them you need a coach and so they hired someone or may have paid for it but they're like they're not coachable i only want to work with people that are coachable and coachable people are looking at being self-aware and raising their eq and so part of this assessment is making sure i'm working with the right people and making sure that they're willing to listen and making sure they've got a certain level of humility and 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 that they're willing to share that they're willing to look at some things that might not be strengths that might be weaknesses and so so that's a, that's important that we coach people that are coachable. And, and I want to say this, this might be a little harsh just because their check clears or just because they pay money, that doesn't mean they're coachable. Come on. <laughs> That'll preach preaching. Sorry. That's a whole, that's a whole nother sermon right there.
1: Right. Okay. I was going to say we can take up an offering just for that one. <laughs> that's yeah. so true. And it's a good point because Um, When I spent my years in corporate America, I led a lot of teams and I learned that when you have to have those tough conversations of separating someone from a business, so this is just not a good fit. Initially, it was very hard for me to have those conversations because I took it to heart. Individuals who are on my payroll, I didn't own the company, but if you're in my team, I, I take a very personal interest and carry a weight for I'm in some shape, form, or fashion responsible for whatever family you're supporting with this or friend, what have you, mortgage you're paying, what have you. And so I hated to let people go, but a business is a business. But what I came to understand to your point was if I keep you in this role, it is a detriment to not only our company, but to you. And so it's the same for coaches. If you are just taking money because like you said, the check cleared, but it's not a good fit. They're not coachable. They're not yet at that place where they're coachable. It will be a disservice to them. It will be miserable for them. And it will also be miserable for the coach. And it's, it's not a good situation for anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. People, and someone needs to hear that. I, I actually, you know, there's so many layers to this. I think there's some integrity issues when we're talking about things like that. I think it, I question how much someone really values their time. If they're spending time with people that don't value them more. And, uh, and listen, some of this has been years in the making. So, (laughs) so, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that people can learn over time, but it's very frustrating if you're working with a lot of people that aren't coachable. And, uh, and I think that's one of the foundational principles of being a coach is that you want to work with people that really desire to be coached and, and that it's a good match for what you do.
1: Mm -hmm. Then the next part that you talked about was making the progress. So if you are working with people who are coachable, the 90, the quick win, find a pain point and then a quick win. I really like that because what that also does is it, it builds trust with you, with your clients, Mm -hmm my coach that I've hired has identified a problem and we've worked through and have a quick solution. So now I I have a little bit more faith. Probably already have plenty of faith to begin with, but a little bit more faith of, you know, it builds that confidence. Okay. We can tackle the next thing. And, and so that, I think that was great advice. So Mm -hmm. yes, thank you for the tactics.
0: Well, there's, there's also some practical there too. I mean, yes, they've got faith if they've said, yes, we'd like to work with you. Uh, But but when you charge 3000 5000 10000 dollars a month yeah. i i think and and you know the first few months are really kind of a get to know you phase if all of a sudden you know fifteen twenty thousand 20000 dollars have gone off the bottom line without any tangible things showing up. It's just like, we've been communicating with this coach. We've talked to him. We've done a few things. It's taken some time, but we don't see anything. You know, I don't want to go through any kind of buyers. I don't want them to go through buyers and more. it's like, man, this guy's like moving like molasses. He's fairly slow and getting to something. No, let's get something quick. You know, let's address, uh, let's address an issue that we we know everybody has. Let's look at a communications challenge that's in the organization. Let's address how many meetings the team's having and get rid of one or two. That's like a huge win.
1: Oh my goodness, <laughs> in like, every this company.
0: This guy's the second coming. He's like, Jesus just showed up and he showed <laughs> us how we don't have to have this meeting that we've been having every month. Oh my gosh, we love this guy. <laughs> yeah. And all I did was look at and say, why do y'all have this meeting? That's all I did. Hey, quick note.
1: I need your help. I am trying to get my Instagram account to my first 1000 followers. If you have not followed me at the connection collaborator on Instagram, do so today. And also I want to get to a thousand subscribers in my first 90 days of the coach up podcast. So if you have not subscribed or you've not shared this podcast with somebody do that now, thank you for your help in growing this audience and sharing the coach up podcast
0: with more people. (laughs) <laughs> like we've been having this meeting for three years why right. well because joe that joe that used to work here says we need to have this meeting stop there's no reason to have it i don't see i've sat in on it there's no reason to have this meeting let's stop having it and see who yells about it oh right. wait nobody said anything look we've achieved and accomplished let's keep moving
1: okay i love that that's a great example i think meetings are one of the things of corporate america it may just be business in general but
0: Well, you're a D. You're a D. So you like meetings that you're in charge of, but you don't like going to other meetings.
1: Correct. And the meetings that I'm in charge of, I want them to be 15 minutes. Come with your high level points and let's all move.
0: (laughs) Yes. And you get to the end. This is exaggerating someone's profile. And you get to the end of the meeting and you know you're supposed to be communicative and get everybody's input. And so you say, all right, anybody have anything else? Okay, no. All right. Meeting adjourned. Let's move on. (laughs)
1: That's right. See, Send me you. an email. I know
0: you. I've been around you.
1: <laughs> this is why you do what you do, too. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this for a long time.
1: <laughs> so I do want to get back to that. So, so like I said, thank you. Because um, as you were talking about what you do and, and the process part, I wanted you to understand exactly what that meant and what you shared. Was, I know people definitely were helped by that. But you mentioned your experience. You've been doing this a long time. So take me back to... Should we start in 2008 or should we start at 2013 to 15? Because my my burning question that I'm sure other people are wondering is, you made that humongous $17 in the first three months of 2015, and you mentioned you all went through the difficulty of bankruptcy and and losing your home. And what were you living off of and what were you doing for two years before that, right? So wherever to start.
0: Yeah, well, uh... One couple of things that were interesting and and I want to back up to 08 briefly because my wife and I recently had a conversation about this. I knew a bunch of stuff about real estate. I mean, I, we were really good at that real estate coaching, which was very niche specific. And when I say real estate, I'm talking about buying, selling, flipping, holding all of those things. Real estate investing is the coaching business we had. And I, and I'm pretty sure before we get off, you'll ask about that model.
1: I was going to ask residential commercial.
0: And, and so here's the challenge that I ran into. There were a lot of my peers, a lot of people, and I was traveling around, speaking on stages, you know, selling a $25,000 coaching program, things like that. There were a lot of people that we did business with during that time that continued doing the same thing and, and making some money. It wasn't a great time for the coaching industry, just like it wasn't great for real estate but I got to the point where I didn't know what to tell people. We were struggling in our own real estate company and I couldn't then turn around and then share anything. And, and, and I just made the decision after about a year or so to shut it down because of just, I mean, maybe it was integrity. Maybe it was, I didn't know what to say. Maybe I didn't want to be a fraud. I, I don't know. I mean, We could try to unpack all that, but it's just, I didn't know what to tell people in that current market that we were in. So there were a couple of little projects that we did, but for the most part, we were just attempting to find what we were supposed to do next. There was. I will tell you this, and some people will get this. Some people won't. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of quiet time. There was a lot of time alone with God and saying, "What is going on? We were doing this well, and now we're not. We thought we were doing things. What's going on? You know, maybe it wasn't actual prayer. Maybe it was whining and complaining. But it was still couched as prayer. Some people might understand that. And I was going to say that's a
1: good distinction. Yes. (laughs) Yes,
0: it is. Yeah. That's a, this is a whole nother sermon. We're going to have six part, six part series sermons here that we're going to have to unpack later. But, but so we, 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 we struggled. I mean, we had some family that just helped us with little stuff and, you know, we had some places that we can go. Um, And then, and then when we kind of got to the end of being able to live in that house, the big old house that we lived in. And, you know, you can only not make payments for so long and still stay in houses. And then, you know, had gone through all of the ugly, uh, you know, restructuring and stuff like that with bankruptcy. We, we just loaded up an old Honda van. It's the only vehicle that we had left and uh, had 300,000 miles on it, put a few things in there and we just hit the road. Visited mm-hmm. family initially that allowed us to stay there for you know, a month or two, which was about as long as all of us could handle. and uh, and then we went and visited some friends. and we then went and visited some more friends. Mm-hmm. And then we felt like, and listen, I want to say this, we were spending a lot of time in prayer, quiet time. All of a sudden, there's such a contrast with what I'm about to say here. We had gone from owning over a hundred pieces of real estate single family homes primarily and some condos and stuff and teaching and coaching and showing people how to do that to all of a sudden living in a honda van mm-hmm. and then and then all of a sudden we some doors opened up for us to start house sitting mm-hmm. now this is very interesting but so we quote unquote owned all this over here for those that are watching if you see it on video and then I'm going on the other side. And then all of a sudden we're living in some extremely nice homes that we didn't own, we didn't pay for, our names weren't on anything. We were watching people's pets a lot of times because they would travel for a month or two and say, hey, would y'all watch our home? And we had to go through a process to you know, make sure that you know, we weren't gonna steal things and we trusted them and they trusted us. So we had to get some letters and stuff. But we actually did that for a few years and we actually at times still do it We ended up going over to Australia and New Zealand. We did it for nine months over there. So this is a spiritual thing for people that have ever read the Old Testament. We were living in houses that we didn't build. You didn't didn't build, come on. It was was the literal promised land. And it was such a contrast and so educational for me because I had such an ownership mentality of thinking that you've got to own everything. And I think it was just me learning that, you know what, you don't have to own everything. And so we lived in some really nice houses. And when we were over in Australia, New Zealand, they would hand us the keys to their vehicle with what they would call a petrol card. And uh, sometimes they would stock the wine cellar and the food and stuff like that. And so, so Kanisha, we lived in other people's homes up until 2015-16. We did get us a small apartment while we were going to Bible school, but we continued to house it. There was a, a house with a pool down in Fort Lauderdale that they wanted us to come back every year. There were people in Breckenridge, Colorado that for six months during the winter, they wanted us to come watch their condo and uh, ski season in Breckenridge, Colorado. So so that is kind of how we were sustained. We called it our mana phase of our of our, which is a, another spiritual term for those that understand it. So we were, we were living off manna and there were times that on a Friday, we didn't know where we were going to be on a Monday. And there were times that we didn't know where a dollar would come from. And all of a sudden someone who had owed me some money way back when said, Hey, Tim, here's 500 bucks. I know I owe you more, but here's 500 bucks. Cause when everything went South, we had companies that owed us close to seven figures, mm-hmm. but they were in the real estate business too. They were going through the same thing. They weren't going to pay. Right. So, so, so anyway, that was what led us up to that March and there's a lot more to that, but I think you can kind of tell there was just a lot of, uh, journey and traveling through the wilderness and getting to the next stage and then to the next stage. And it kept getting better and better. The houses would get better and better and better all along the way. So, uh, so that was part of the journey. That, uh, that we went through during that time.
1: I am a lover of Jesus, and I make no secret of that on my podcast. Um, and as you're talking about manna and the wilderness, that is all part of the Bible. Um, I think what's amazing is the faith that you all had to have had, because you talked about the prayer and the quiet time. And when we step out on faith and trust in God, then he will provide, and it doesn't always look like what we expect it to look like. And we often faith is not being able to see the next the the Monday on the Friday. but it's trusting there will be provision. So thank you for sharing that part of the story because there I know there are people who need to hear that who are wondering, sure, how is the next phase going to roll out, or what is the next day or the next week look like? And so it's a blessing to hear individuals who've
0: gone through that lived it and to to encourage just a little bit more we did we went through for those two years what we call a mana phase and then we went into a miracle phase which was kind of that you know i mentioned march earlier where it's like how did all of a sudden this started happening and then we moved into what we call the blessing phase where it just pours out in so many ways and it's kind of interesting that i mentioned the word pours because here in the rv it's raining right now and people may be able to hear pitter patter coming through my microphone but but uh so it, it literally did go through a cycle and here's what i believe whether people are aware of it or not many people go through those cycles anyway and unless they understand that there're seasons and cycles that we go through in life then they can become discouraged because we started becoming encouraged even when we were in that manna stage, because God kept showing us, I've got you, I'm taking care of you, I, I've got it, don't, don't think I'm not here. Now, again, it's one of these things, I'm not sure we would wish it on someone, but we're thankful we went through it, because it lets us know that God is our provider and our source, and that regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of what we go through, he's watching over us and taking care of us.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about the miracle phase that started in 2015, and it's so interesting that you call it the manna, the miracle, and the blessing. Just this weekend, um, Pastor Robert Morris, who pastors Gateway Church in Texas, yes, that's it. you know him. Um, it's a shameless plug for one of my favorites. He was at my church, which my church is Free Chapel with Pastor Jensen Franklin. Anybody in the Atlanta Gainesville area, come on down. But he wrote a book on the blessed life, and as you're talking about the blessings, I'm I, as you talk about God just pouring things out, He talks about that, but also from a point of as God blesses you, bless others, or even before God blesses you, you are blessing others because He entrusts us with more when we do what we're supposed to do. So your wording just brought that to mind. But I want to I want to know what was that miracle phase like? So you start the year with all of ten bucks and seven singles, and then twelve streams of income later in less than a year? How does that happen?
0: Well, I, there's a couple of things that come to mind when you ask that. Number one, manna leads to miracle anyway. And, and and if especially if you're grateful and thankful for that manna phase. I think what a lot of people is they're not thankful and grateful for the manna phase. And so they never maybe move into the miracle. And then when they move maybe in miracles, and listen, we've all got miracles that are going on all the time but we don't acknowledge it we don't recognize it so therefore we can't move into that blessing where things are just pouring out to us all the time but for us because of the muscles that had been worked so much during the manna phase when we started having miracles we were going like wow Oh my goodness. Wow. That is so incredible. Can you believe that so-and-so just called me in out of the blue? We haven't talked in four years and they want me to come help with this or that project or, or, or my wife started doing a, she's a operations. She's very proficient at operations and things like that. And, and she started doing some temporary type work that led to a very profitable um, role for her during that time too. And it was just like, this just keeps growing now. There was something very practical that we did that was important for us not to live in the same way we lived previous, because we we had a lot of money before. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were very wealthy. We had a lot that came in, but we also spent a lot that came in. And one of the things we didn't understand was what I've now called the storehouse principle, which is, and that is it. A lot of people want to get hung up on the tithe and giving and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to argue theological stuff with them, but we had to acknowledge when a dollar came in, where that dollar came from. And so what we did was, and my wife was very diligent about this more so than me, because I'm a business guy, let's invest and keep going. She said, nope, dollar comes in. We're going to put a certain percentage in the account that we're calling a storehouse account. And that is God's money. Maybe yeah. we'll give it away. Maybe it'll sit there or whatever. It's not, that's not for us. It's for him. And then we started doing some other things. We would take a percentage and put it in an investment account. We would take a percentage and put it in. We, we'd we had almost grown children at the time, put it in there. If we ever needed something for our children, like, you know, one of them gets married or something like that, or they needed a car or something. And then we started putting another percentage in. And So what starts happening, even though you only made $17 to start the year, But with that $17, if you're doing this and showing good stewardship, Mm -hmm. that you are a steward over what you've been gifted, because I don't think I was a good steward previously, I I could pretend that I was. The miracle starts moving into a blessing when all of a sudden you realize, wow, we're living off 20% of what's coming in. Mm. Wow now. And so what a lot of people do, and this is where they just get it all wrong is they get a dollar come in and they spend a dollar 20. And then they wonder why it's not working, mm-hmm. or they wonder why they're not moving into some. And, and a lot of these people are good. Maybe faith people that like what we're talking about. Maybe they're not. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think it's just being a good steward over what you have. And so that was what moved us from one to the other to the other. And and it's really what I've called the storehouse principle where we set it aside and say, God, this is yours. We're yeah. gonna let money pile up here. If you tell us that we need to go build an orphanage or I need to give money here or do this, well, we we've got it here. Mm-hmm. But it's yours because really all this is yours and we've seen that it's yours and we're just acknowledging that by setting this account up.
1: That's important, the stewardship because you cannot be trusted with more if you cannot show that you can handle what you've been given. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to go through those difficult times, such as you guys experienced where you have to lose it all because like you said, I don't know if I was stewarding it. Well, I could pretend that I was. God sees yeah. all that. Right. And so then are there lessons? Um, we are taught lessons because from a faith standpoint, God chastens those that he loves. So we're taught and we go through difficulties so that hopefully we can learn and we don't have to go around the mountain Mm -hmm. for 40 years. So faith people will know what that means. Um, Yep. But we can learn (laughs) and we come out better so that he can entrust us with more. So the fact that you guys learn that and then put it into action, right? There's a difference between, um, Proverbs talks about knowledge, understanding, prudence, wisdom. Wisdom is the application. Of what you know. And so it doesn't do any good to have the information and not do anything with it, but you guys did something with it, which speaks to the miracles and then the blessings. So tell me about the 12 streams of income, or some of them, not all of them, but that started coming in. You all start to get calls out of the blue. Yeah. They were
0: they happens. were like uh I mean, all of them were within like short periods of time. I mean, one of the first ones was a um a couple that runs a uh they are in the real estate business also. And, uh, and they needed someone that can coach and help them with just the marketing of their company. And I'm not really a marketing guy, but we did a lot of it in the past. And so they called up and said, can you help us? And I went, uh, sure. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then another was, uh, you know, this is the one I kind of mentioned earlier. And this kind of goes back to some of the background we had, uh, someone that was doing events, they were in the real estate space too. And they said, you know, it used used to stand up on stage and be able to sell somebody a 20, $25,000 coaching program. And we've got one, that's only eight or 10,000, but can you help? Because I'm just not really good at closing those sales. And I go, um, sure. Tell me more. Let's talk about it. So that was one thing, um, a startup. And I mean, some, I mean, they just kind of kept going, just like that. Those are the examples. And I'm now working with uh, you know an engineering company. I'm working with people that head up ministries and it's just a wide range. And the common theme is I work with the leader of the owner. They need to be coachable. Mm-hmm. I work with the leadership team, if there's a team and and all around, and then I help them with the process of strategy and primarily strategic growth. What is what that looks like? And uh, that's that's the common theme that I see in, in all that I do.
1: Did that come out of, in your quiet time, as you were seeking and praying to the Lord? Is that what, what you're doing now? Is that what came out of that? And when did you recognize that that's what it was?
0: Or did, well, I would i would probably argue that everything has come out of that quiet time and and just humbling and 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 all because you can't really explain a lot of that you know a lot of people say oh what's your funnels and and listen i'm i'm on linkedin like a lot of people are and if you put coach by your name on linkedin then most of the people that reach out to you are people that are attempting to sell you on how to be a seven eight figure coach and you go look at their profile and i'm this sounds a little cynical i apologize but you go look at their profile i'm going how do you tell me to be a seven and eight figure coach you know when anyway what whatever you know it's (laughs) that's kind of, you know, they're just, they're selling the funnel, you know, they're selling, we could have you, you know, you can have 10 to 20 appointments every week. I don't want 10 to twenty appointments every week. I I, I generally have capacity for one, maybe two or three more clients, depending on how it's structured. If it's an entire team, maybe one, if it's a a leader, I've got two to three and that's kind of it. You know, I work with five to 10 clients and that's about it. I don't need 200 again. I've had that in the past. I only work with a handful and I work with them with the process that I mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah. Everything is individualized unique to the business, the coach, and obviously the framework that you have for your business. Yeah. So you are working with leaders, you working with owners mm-hmm. um, and you're part of this podcast because Praise the Lord. You have, as you mentioned earlier, you are, you're liquid. Okay. Right now, which is a blessing. Um, So you've built your business up to a point that is what most of us would consider a successful, um, a successful business. And so as those things were happening, how did you put the structure together? And then like, what was the framework? So for coaches who are listening, who say, Mm-hmm. Okay, I hear you just had blessings and miracles happening for you, but at some mm-hmm. point, it's got to be a business um, or turned into that. Yeah. And your wife is great with operations. Where? How did you start to structure that as you as you built?
0: Yeah, the uh, the first thing that popped in my mind as you were saying that is that I wanted to say, if you don't control your time, someone else will, because a lot of times people get into coaching roles. And especially people that are new in coaching. And they get someone that says, Yeah, I would like for you to coach me. And regardless of how they get that, that first gig. And what they'll do is they'll give them their phone number, they'll give them their text number, they'll give them their email, they'll give them their Slack channel, you know, they'll move in with them, you know, hey, I'll move in your basement in there. And and I have found that we first of all have to understand how valuable time is not just my time as a coach and your time as a coach, but also how valuable the coach e's time is. And so one of the basic foundational things that I believe, as far as creating a business is you don't need to be hanging out with people all the time that you're coaching, because if they're doing anything in between the time you're coaching them and having conversation and and you're talking once a week or multiple times a week and all that and there, and there might be situations that this is not the case but uh, I've, I've had a conversation recently with someone said man I think I need weekly calls I'm going you don't need weekly calls mm-hmm. I'm a coach not a counselor you know if you got that if you got th- that many issues you need to go see a counselor um, I'm a coach and when we talk there's going to be things that need to be done in between the times we talk and if you've got the type time to get some of these things done in just a few days, then that's not going to work out well. So... If you work from home,
1: if you are a remote worker, if you're a business worker and you work from home and you sometimes just wish you could get together with other people who work from home, you just wish you could get out of your house and just be around other people who are working as dedicated and focused as you are, but you get to be in the space of other fellow remote workers, you want to join the Coffee Shop Co-workers Facebook group. We are connecting people all over the country in coffee shops where you can go for free meet other like-minded people, to hang out, to work together, whether it's for two hours, whether it's for four hours, whether it's all day, but you get to connect with people like you who are working from home, who want to be around other people and still get work done and just create a new network. So come check out the Facebook page, join the Facebook page, Coffee Shop Co-workers today, so we can start connecting you to fellow future co-workers.
0: My my foundational business model is at the beginning of each month, I send out a link where people can schedule their time to speak to me. And that's when they schedule it. And from a business perspective, almost all my calls are on Wednesday afternoons, sometimes Tuesday if I feel like I need to spill over. In general, I don't do any phone calls on Monday and Friday. And most of the work that I do is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And the reason for that is that I need time to think, I need time to consume, I need time to work on myself so that I am charged up, got plenty of juice in the tank when it's time for me to turn around and pour into someone else. I think I see a lot of people that they're operating off of adrenaline. And listen, you could work off of adrenaline and I've done it in the past. For a certain period of time. And then all of a sudden there's nothing left in the tank. And so it, then it becomes not a situation where you're coaching and giving out of an abundance. It's where you're giving out of a deficit and that's going to be a short-term arrangement. So it's not answering your business model question per se, but it's the philosophy that I have. And so the business model is I'm like, I like to work with five to 10 clients. Uh, those clients, I typically don't work with anyone that would pay less than a thousand dollars a month. I want to say this here because this will get some people thinking, I also have a nonprofit, a 501c3. And so let's just say I'm working with the head of a ministry that they would like to work with me and they cannot afford that thousand dollars and up. And when I say a thousand, I work a thousand dollars all the way up to 10,000 plus per month. That's That's the scale of clients that I work with. But if it's under a thousand, to me, it's almost, I don't want to say it's not worth the transaction, but the way I believe God's told me to work with it is that if it's less than that, then I will consider working with them via our foundation and I'll do the same thing with them in the 501c3. So they just kind of go into my coaching and I coach with them, you know, in the foundation kind of pays for it. I do it in air quotes because there's not really money changing hands. It's just part of that uh, that um, structure. So my business model is that, <laughs> and, it's, and it's not hard and fast. I don't have a lot of funnels in place. I'm not booking 10 appointments a week to talk to people. In fact, most of it is referral-based. At the beginning of this year, I kind of looked around and said, you know what? I probably should let my clients know that I've got space for one or two more and I've mentioned to them, they go, oh, wow, thanks for letting us know. I know people that you need to talk to. So it's really kind of more referral-based. Now, I can contrast that with some heavy-duty funnels that we used to do leading into 08. <laughs> and I used to go speak on stages. And, you know, man, I was I was all over the place in planes and doing all that kind of stuff. So I, I can contrast it with the way I used to be. Yeah,
1: I am going to ask, you mentioned it earlier. And so you've already either picked up on my personality or you've done enough of these. You also have your own podcast, which we'll talk about at the end, um, to know sort of how maybe our minds work who are interviewing and getting to know our guests. Um, so I'm going to ask a little bit about, yes, the real estate that you did previously. But I, what you talked about with the time to think. So ultimately, that filling up your cup. So you're giving from the abundance. I think it's so important and I'm glad you brought it up because whether you call it self-development or filling up your cup, whatever you call it, it is important that you can only teach what you know well. People can recognize very quickly if you are, like you said, you're being contacted by individuals, you can... Who say they can get up, you get to seven figures, but I'm not sure that your profile is showing me that, right? You can, we can all read a book and then regurgitate it, but you will find out quickly if somebody actually has lived and knows what they're talking about versus they're telling you some, you could have something you could have read in a book. But that, so that self-development is so important because as we grow, then we can grow others. But if I don't grow, I had a mentor who taught me this years ago, then eventually I'm going to teach up into the level where I am and then I can no longer serve those who I'm supposed to be serving. So it goes back to doing a disservice for them. So the fact that you brought that up in the crux of time, super important. So thank you for answering the five business model questions. But I, I agree with you. I think that was very important that people need to hear. Yeah. So I am going to now ask about the real estate. So you were, what what was the real estate you were doing? Primarily flips, buy, hold, sells, residential, um, but tell me I'm
0: I am curious about that time in your yeah, life. We, that we started in, in like late 90s, early two thousands, just uh, I was working with a few partners and we just started buying a bunch of houses in and around the Atlanta market, mostly east of town, and got really good at it. I mean, we were we were buying three, four, five houses per month at that time. I mean, there were three years that we went through where we were buying 40, 50 houses during the course of that year and, and got really good at it. And so again, uh, like I said, at the beginning, I've always leaned toward coaching, teaching, training, and I'd be going to church and someone, you know, when somebody's doing that level of business, you can almost smell it on them. I mean, it's like, they just smell like smoke because they're on fire. And so people would come up to me and say, man, I've seen y'all's name everywhere doing this real estate thing can you, can you teach me how to do what you're doing? So, you know, early on, this is why time is valuable. This is a teaching point for people, not a story early on, you know, I'd go out to lunch with them after church, And we'd, we'd, I'd pour everything out. I'd tell them everything I know. And you need to do this. You need to get some marketing in place. And, and this is how you buy, right. You know, you need to know what the value of the property is. They, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, then the bill would come for lunch and, you know, there'd be this Mexican standoff. I'm thinking, you know, I'm pouring myself out. They should at least buy lunch. No. And, you know, some of this is just church folk a little bit too, truthfully. (laughs) And then, um, And then, uh, you know, so I'd buy lunch. And then two, three weeks later, they would come back and say, hey, man, can we go have lunch again? I wanted to hear more. And I go and I do it again. And I would go, hold on a second. Um, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so this is kind of compressing it a little bit. But, you know, so I had somebody come say, hey, can you tell me how to do real estate? And I said, sure, absolutely. Here's the way it's going to work. You're going to pay me Mm $5,000 and we're going to do three transactions together. And on the third transaction, we're going to split 50 50, 50 50. And on the third transaction, I'm going to give you your 5,000 back. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how that coaching business was born was that we had somebody that did that. And then I also had some people that wanted me to get into coaching. And then they said, hey, listen, if you, I, I just want to teach real estate, I don't want to coach. And so, um, you know, so we started getting opportunities to go get on people's stages. And anyway, so coaching business was born and we had multiple coaching programs that went from $49 a month for a newsletter, training up to $197 a month where they got a little bit of some webinar and teaching training. I mean, we had the long list of all of the stuff in group coaching. And then you keep stretching that model. I was a, a a student of Dan Kennedy and all that Dan was teaching then. And we were part of his coaching model, So we were spending, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 to be in his program that led to masterminds and things like that. And so we started setting that up. We had mastermind programs and at the height of it, we had, it was over 100 people that were paying $25,000 a year to be in that program and then uh, and all the others. And uh, and it was a great program. And that's what led us into 2008 and nine. And and uh, that's when, of course, things started disintegrating and having challenges. So I, I loved all that. But for me personally, I don't want to do that again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it goes to, you mentioned it when you were talking about your time between 2013 and 2015, where you had a realization you don't want to own stuff. You don't have to own as much stuff. And so that that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of ownership that goes into not just the business itself, but the people that you're beholden to, that you have committed to serve and honor their time, their money to provide for them. And so... You you mentioned this earlier as well, like now you and your wife don't own as much. So I'm curious how, what's that mindset? And because in America, where we both live, you know, ownership is a nonverbal public statement of this is where I am in life. And it's very important to a lot of people. Um, but you, have, you all have adopted a mindset that's different, which is why you're in 39s. 39 feet, not square feet, 39 feet. Um, 39 square feet would be very small. <laughs> but you you all are different. And so can you talk about how that mindset happened and what your mindset is now and how that's, whether it's freeing for you or what it does for you not having to have that ownership?
0: Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing, and listen, I love... I love having the things that I need to achieve and accomplish what I do. I'm, I'm not anti-capitalist, yay capitalism. You know, I'm, I'm for all that. However, in the first world cultures that we all live in accumulation and the addiction to more is it permeates everyone. And I'm talking about everyone. We all have it to some extent. I had it pretty bad. I mean, cause I was addicted, not just to the stuff, but to more business. I mean, it's got to grow, it's got to grow, it's got to grow. And I'm not against growth either. The problem is, is when growth isn't enough. The problem is, is when one car in the garage isn't enough. The problem is, is when, and I'm again, not against any of that stuff, but most of it owns people, they don't own it. And what it's led us to believe is that we are, we're not minimalist. We don't believe in just, you know, living <laughs> and not having stuff, we're essentialist. We believe in having the things that are essential to achieve and accomplish what it is that God has us on this earth to do. And, and you know what, there are a lot of things we need for that, but then there's a lot of things that we don't need. And it's not essential to that mission for us to accomplish it. And I think what a lot of people, and even believers, people that are followers of Christ, they actually, and, 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 and oh, I'm about to maybe I'm about to irritate a few folks and listen, uh, our church culture, I grew up in, I was in and around. I knew uh, I went to a church from one of your pastor Jensen's cousins by marriage down in the Conyers area. And, uh, and, and it was, it would have been for a period of time, a, a little bit of a Uh, let's call it a name it and claim it type church. And a lot of people, you know, the prosperity gospel gets a bad name. I will say that every church in the United States or first world countries, and we visited churches when we went to Australia too. A lot of people know them. They starts with Hill, ends in song. We went to a lot of their, um, a lot of their churches over there. People know the music and all that. I would say that most of us have a prosperity gospel mindset in that we believe that we're, we, we earned great things, we're supposed to have it. And if we work a little bit, that we're gonna just keep getting stuff. So, and again, a lot of people get aggravated by that, but we all have some of that in us. And so I think most of us need to purge a good bit of that. And so th- this is how I've defined leadership. And I did this in season three of our podcast, which is way back in the end of 2019. Someone should go listen to this at, at, over at Seat Go Create. I define leadership as, as being a steward over, and, and we can also define steward as trustee, overseer, caretaker, whatever. There's a lot of different words we use. Over the people, places, and or things that God has gifted you with. So if you've been given uh, you know, a 1985 Honda that's got 300,000 miles on it, To be a good steward, you need to take as good care of that as you can. And here's what a steward does. This is why this is important to understand. If you own something, you own it, you use it up and you be done with it. Sometimes you try to sell it and all that kind of stuff. A steward has a higher calling that they are gifted with something and they are required to give it back when they're done better than when they received it. That is what a steward is required to do. And so being a steward over things or people or organizations, or if you're a coach and you've got a client that you're working with, you don't own that client. And I know you don't, but you're a steward. It's your, it's your responsibility. If you work with them for 90 days or nine years to return them and help them get to a place that's better than when you started working with them. And see, I'll even tell the owner of a company that I go in and work with, I say, you know what, I know your name's on the uh, uh, on the front out here. And I know you're, you know, if we look at the legal papers, you own all the shares and stuff like that. I said, but as long as you think you own all of this, then it's going to be a challenge to have us doing the things we really need to do let's think in terms of a steward let's think in terms that we're just taking care of this for a season and we've got to make sure the people are here that are you know they're thriving and flourishing as best they can that we're taking care of the stuff as best we can and so the philosophy that we have is that and again i I own things i've got actually i don't i'm a big I'm big in asset protection. I actually don't believe I'm a trustee over things, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because when well, I, that's learned a estate, I learned, whole nother conversation. I don't like having my name on stuff. When mm-hmm. you're, out. it's just good to have things set up in a different way. But I, I would almost also argue that most people sitting here listening, if you have a house and have a 30-year mortgage, you don't really own that house. Mm-hmm. The bank does. Right. Thank you. And you know how? And you know what? I can prove it to you because I lived in a house that I structured pretty creatively the way we bought it. And the bank still took it from us. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) When we didn't pay them, they took it from us. So we didn't own it. The bank owned it. We, we were just allowed to live there as long as we would pay them quote unquote rent that we'll call a payment. And people might argue with that. Hey, I know real estate.
1: (laughs) Facts are facts. Yeah.
0: Anyway, wood, hay, and stubble. Most of it's just wood, hay, and stubble. That's all it is.
1: I've not heard that one before. Wood, hay, and stubble. That breaks it down.
0: Yeah. Your
1: um, definition of leadership rings true, the stewardship. And from a biblical standpoint, it made me think about also the parable of the talents. And so those who know the story of jesus told in the bible and for those who don't give you a 12 second recap a man gave three people money said multiply it two of them did one of them hid it and didn't multiply it and then the one who didn't multiply it got his taken away when the person who gave it to him came back and gave it to the people who did because to your point you what you are given return it even better. And so we are to, I love that definition of steward for leadership and multiply. And I, I was, as you were talking, Tim, um, I was I was having this conversation with the Holy Spirit. Am I supposed to say this or not? I think I'm supposed to, but you have just been a blessing to me because two of the words that the Lord gave me at the beginning of the year, um, one of them was stewardship. And then as you were talking, multiplication um, just came up against, and that was another one of the words, so. I know the Lord had a intent for you to be on my podcast today. Um, for this, for nobody else. Even though I know that so many of you all listening will be blessed, but thank you for sharing the wisdom that you've been given because it truly is applicable to what we are are called to do. You are walking in that. I think because I can't keep you forever. That's a good place for us to segue. And wrap up, um, at the end, I do want you to share just your final thoughts that you want everybody to take away um, from our conversation today. But I do want to segment into the round that I do call and ask all of my guests to go through, which is my before you go quickfire round of questions. So, Tim, are you ready? Have you hit that subscribe button? If not, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for the Coach Up Podcast. We are new. I am excited about bringing to you every single week, probably more often, experts in every single field that will help you. One, if you're a coach, learn how to grow and scale your business to six and seven figures. And if you are not a coach, learn how to grow your life in the multitude of areas we're talking about. But the only way that you know what new information is coming out is you have to be subscribed so you get notified when a new episode drops so go ahead hit that subscribe button also i'm working to get to a thousand subscribers in the very first 30 days of the podcast being dropped so i need your help share this with somebody make sure you subscribe share it with a friend share it with a family member share it with a couple of people ask them to subscribe as well and we are going to grow this podcast as you grow from these amazing coaches that are pouring into you. Let's get coached up.
0: I guess I am. I I I have zero prep for this, so fire away.
1: <laughs> I have confidence you're going to be great. Okay. First question, Tim. What one app or tool do you use in business right now that you would absolutely not do without?
0: Mm, one app or tool that I could not do without that is a great question. I'm sitting here looking at my phone going, What's the app? Yeah, we actually um have implemented a uh, notion into our business, and I find myself going to it. My wife is implemented, and it's a task manager. And it is really powerful for anyone that wants to get organized and you can get a little bit organized to, massively every step along the way organized. So uh, Notion, it's a tool, it's a system, it's an app. And uh, I think that'd be a cool one for people to check out that want to uh, uh, really implement something to help their business get up to the next level.
1: Not heard that one before, so that was a good one. Okay, what tool do you use to collect payments? This was this one's very simple from your clients.
0: Yeah, this this one's very simple. Here's my bank account. Send me money.
1: <laughs> Absolutely great.
0: <laughs> I don't take checks. I don't do credit cards. I don't do anything. Here's here's the instructions. Send the money.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll take note of that one. Drop the mic. Okay. Right.
0: And and wait, and wait, I want to say one other thing too. And you pay me before I do the work, not after the work.
1: Come on. We I, not I don't want to, in- I don't want
0: to, I don't want to drop my mic because it's fairly expensive, but that's a mic drop right there.
1: That is. Okay. Well, so you didn't need to prep for this. You are already prepared. Okay. Okay, good. You mentioned it earlier. So I think we've already told us, but I'll ask just to be sure. Most effective method for you in finding and securing new clients?
0: Yeah, uh, primarily referrals. I mean, it's primarily referrals. I probably should do a little bit more. But every time I think about it, I just go, nah, I just really like working with people that they've come strongly recommended. Yeah, makes a huge difference.
1: The the people that you've worked with know what you're working, what you're looking for. They're not going to send you people who are not coachable, typically.
0: Yeah and it also means that people are chasing me mean me I'm not chasing people and there's a big mindset shift that occurs when all of a sudden you're pursuing people and and it makes it makes you have to work harder than you should when you when you do that and 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 it also makes you compromise it makes you do things that I think sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and go darn maybe we do maybe you don't I's like man you know what I I wish I didn't have to do that I feel like I need to take a bath now and so, uh, so I really like when it's a better relationship, it just starts off better when that happens. That's good.
1: Hey, right. that, that was really good. Thank you. Okay. Um, number one thing you attribute the most weight to in scaling your business to the sixth and then seventh figure mark.
0: Obedience. Amen just listening to the Lord and not getting ahead of him and being still and quiet. And when the phone started ringing again, I answered it and I said, okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. I have a pastor in my church. who says if things are not going the way that you want them to go. Go back to the last thing the Lord told you to do. do that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Here, I want you to talk about your podcast. Um, but the question is, what one book or podcast would you recommend as an absolute must to consume? So you can do your podcast and either another book or podcast or just yours.
0: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna promote myself on both.
1: <laughs> Let's do it.
0: Because because in 2013, the Lord put on my heart to write a book and it ended up being a novel. And the title of that book, excuse me, the title of that book is Coach, A Story of Success Redefined. And it has such an interesting, there's a, you'd love it. It's got a little bit of a spiritual twist to it. And it's got a little bit of a supernatural, but it's also a hard-charging business guy that goes through a very significant life event that leads him to the mentor coach that's able to lead him where he needs to go. So uh, there's a novel that that's called Coach: A Story of Success Redefined. Strongly recommend that book. I'll give one other book that I think everyone needs to read, and it's by Carol Dweck called Mindset, and it basically talks about that there are two mindsets that people have: growth or fixed, and Many people are trying to work with people that have a fixed mindset, and it's why you're so frustrated. And the only people that we really should work with are those that have a growth mindset. And we can tell that. We can tell that if they're ones that will take assessments and things like that, like we talked about earlier. Okay, so that's the books. And then the podcast. A few years back, I just felt the the urge to start a podcast, and it's called Seek Go create, three powerful words for anyone who knows the the word seek, go create. And uh, it's basically, uh, we're talking about leadership in both business and ministry, and we mash those together. And uh, we have some phenomenal conversations, just like this one that we have. It's long form interview format most of the time. Even though I do want to mention that I have a five episode arc that's just me on mic. That I am going to be doing what I call the faith driven leader series, where I'm going to be going over some things that I'm really excited about doing I've got a, I've got a faith driven leader quiz that's going to be associated with it, that people can go take and kind of see where they are and what's driving them in their leadership and so uh, the faith driven leader is going to be coming up. I think depending on when people listen to this, I think we're going to be releasing that in the month of May, 2023. So uh, make sure you check that out. Cause I'm really excited about the way that's coming together, but seek, go create, go check it out.
1: Okay. Absolutely. You guys tune in. Um, I'm, I'd be curious to ask about the seek part, but I think I know. Um, and I, I please, yes. So make sure you add me to your email list. So this is my shameless plug because I'd be delighted to take part of what you're talking about. It sounds really good. And I, I, did you create the quiz yourself or did you have help?
0: I did. Okay. I did. I went in and created 20 questions that uh, kind of poke and provide some thought and uh, just give you a score and kind of knows where you... Here's the deal. If someone's truly a faith-driven leader... Then the score is only a starting point, and it's just they they know where they go from then. and uh and I'm I'm in the process of writing a follow-up um kind of a short teaching email sequence that just helps people with wherever they're at and uh, move it forward. So, you know, so I'm pretty excited about the way it's coming together. I'm almost putting the finishing touches on it now.
1: Congrats. I look forward to participating. so.
0: Tim, this
1: time has been amazing together. And before I give you the floor to share your last thoughts and also how people can connect with you, um, I did want to say your foundation that you have is just amazing. And it just made me, again, think about you're receiving the blessings and you are pouring out the blessings. And so kudos to you and your wife for setting that up. I just wanted to make sure people... Heard that again? Um, that that giving is in place. That's being done. So, what would you want to leave our listeners with one thing today?
0: Gosh, didn't didn't we come up with three or four sermons earlier that uh, that people might? We've need? had no, two I'm or three kidding. offerings
1: um, to go with it. Yes.
0: Yeah. I there's a number of things that come to mind, but there's a there's a saying that my wife and I have used often over the years, and I can't say that we've always applied this, but I, I think it's important for people listening to this, this podcast, this episode, to hear this. You need to go where you're celebrated, not just tolerated. I think a lot of people are hanging out and getting around people that are not appreciating them, not, uh, you know, lifting them up and I'm not talking about putting on pedestals or anything. I'm just talking about celebrating your gifts, your talents and who you are and, and what you're able to bring into their lives. And, and so if, if those people you're around are not bringing that life to you. It may be time to, in a nice way, just kind of move on to another circle, another group, another people, whatever it is, and go where you're celebrated, not just celebrated. I think I'd like to leave people with that.
1: a good one. And it's important. How do people connect with
0: you? Inwinders.com. T-I-M-W-I-N-D-E-R-S dot com. They can go there and they can connect to the podcast. They could find the book. They could learn about my executive coaching. It's just one page that says I'm an executive coach. <laughs> and and I think we're in the process of adding that faith-driven quiz, faith-driven leader quiz will be able to be found there. So you could go there and take that and and then uh, you know move into uh, some of the emails that we have that'll do some teaching and training. So Timwinders.com, best place to find me.
1: Excellent. Tim, thank you again for being here today. It has been a pleasure to have you on.
0: Thank you, Kanisha. I enjoyed the conversation. It was a blessing to me.
1: Thank you for joining another episode of the Coach Up podcast. I hope Tim inspired you to t- think differently about some things, especially from a coaching perspective of how to approach coaching, how to get paid, also how to schedule your coaching sessions and for everyone, even things about how to structure your finances so that they can be blessed. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It truly was a joy for me to record and chat with Tim. Be sure to follow him, check out his podcast, find his book, and also make sure that you are subscribed to the Coach Up Podcast. Thanks again for joining. I'll see you on the next episode.